Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Today is Thursday, August 29th, 2019. I'm Shannon. I'm here with Amber, Natalie, and Stacy. And Stacy is accompanied by a cricket this evening. So you will hear it chirping while she talks. Um, just a little ambiance for you. And we are here tonight to talk about new takes on classic tales. So if you have listened to the podcast um, from the beginning, I don't know if anyone has done that, but if they have, you will remember that last year we did an episode that just focused on fairy tales. Um, Stacy, Sarah, and I teamed up for that one. But there are a lot of retellings that don't revolve around fairy tales. So while there will be some fairy tale-esque things tonight, there will also be some emphasis on classic literature, um, things like Jane Eyre, Les Mis, um, Pride and Prejudice, perhaps. It's very hard to tell what we have in store. Um, so yes, new takes on classic tales. So Natalie is going to start us off, followed by Stacy and the Cricket, and then me and Amber will end the round. But of course, before we do all that, I have the usual announcement, which is as follows. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Book Bistro Podcast. We also have a Facebook listener group where you can chat with us about what we're reading, what you're reading, things you'd like to read, um, pretty much anything that's book or podcast related. Um, if you want to email us, if social media is just not your thing, but you still want to get in touch, you can send an email to thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. And whichever way you choose to get in touch with us, we are always very happy to hear from you. All right. So I'm going to turn this over to Natalie now. So my first book is called A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Mass, Or is it Moss? I'm not sure. Moss, I, guess, I think. Yeah. And this is the first book in a trilogy with the same name. And I would characterize it as new adult, not really young adult. The protagonist is in her early 30s. And the first book in the series is a loose retelling of Beauty and the Beast. And mixed in, it's mixed in with a lot of fairy lore and lots of unique twists. And I have been waiting to talk about this book since I joined the podcast. It's um, and true. So it was, yeah, it's very true. <laughs> and so I was very excited when we decided to focus on fairy tale retelling so that I could finally share my excitement and praise 
um, for this series to the entire world, which is surely listening to this podcast. Of course. And so this is a story of Sarah. Um, and she is the youngest of three sisters. And she takes on most of the responsibility in her family. So she does the hunting to ensure that there's always food on the table. Um, and this is a very poor family. Um, they're living with their aging father, um, who is this kind of failed businessman. And so um, they're going through really hard times at the start of the book. And they're kind of shunned by other people in their community. You get the sense that that's the case. And this is a world where there are both humans and fairies existing. And 500 years ago, before the story begins, a treaty was established between both worlds, the humans and the fae. And this led to the creation of this magical wall meant to keep humans on one side and fae and all magical things on the other. So one day, um, while hunting, Farah spots this deer. Um, and before she could um, shoot her arrow at it, this big wolf attacks it instead. And she thinks that this wolf is a fae. And since she really despises all that she's heard about the fae and how horrible they are, um, she, without thinking, shoots the fa the, this wolf, and this leads to its death. So after this happens, another wolf uh, comes to her home and demands retribution and payment for the death of this now dead wolf um, in line with the treaty, which says a life for a life. And so Farah is given the option to live with the wolf on the other side of the wall rather than being killed. And this wolf is Tamlin, who is the high lord of the spring court. So he is as part of the fey world. Um, and he's a shapeshifter. And even in his human form, he um, maintains a lot of the animalistic features of a wolf, kind of like a mask, just like everyone else in his kingdom. And this is due to a curse that you learn more about as the story unfolds. And so over time, she realizes that she, she isn't going to be killed, uh, but she doesn't really know a lot about this curse that threatens the lives of the people in the court, but over time also... Um, there is there's a lot of concern that it'll spread to the human side and potentially put even her family in danger. And the last thing I'll say about this story is that obviously um, the, there are lots of warnings throughout the plot that the danger is increasing and that this curse somehow implicates Farah in some way. And Farah meets... Um, a high lord from the winter court who ends up playing a very pivotal role in this story. And what I can say about this trilogy is that there are lots of twists and turns. So while it's a loose retelling of Beauty and the Beast, there's lots of really unique elements. It's a very fast paced plot. The first story is not actually my, my favorite book in the series. But Mine either. 
Yeah, exactly. But the other books in the series are fabulous. And I would say completely worth getting through the first one. And I'm not, it, it sounds as though I'm not speaking very highly about it. It still is a good story. It's just the plot really thickens after book one. And what I really like about Sarah J. Maas is that um, she doesn't tend to follow the normal trajectory for a relationship. Not everyone ends up with the people they first meet. Uh, some people do and some people don't. And she completely, you know, she, you get your happily ever after, but it ends up being so much more satisfying when it happens because you're just so happy with who um, certain characters end up with. And you see kind of how people evolve and how sometimes that changes over time. And so if you like Beauty and the Beast and you like magic and all of those kind of fairy tale elements, but also a really fast paced plot, then I strongly recommend that you check out A Court of Thorns and Roses by Sarah J. Moss. And you read book one, and then everything that you knew yeah. goes out the window in book yes. two, which yes. is A Court of Mist and Fury. It is my favorite. I love it so, Mine too. so, so much. Book two is my favorite. All right. I'm going to you've, – you've convinced me. I tried to read this book a couple years ago, and – I was bored in the beginning and she was there and I, I felt like it was mm -hmm. going to be this weird just love get triangle. Through it. I felt like there was like a love triangle thing and it just felt mm -hmm. weird. But if you talk about it so highly, I'm going to have to give it a try again. I am so excited to talk about my first book tonight. It is, um, it's called Soul in Darkness by Wendy Higgins. And it is a retelling of Cupid and Psyche. And this was my favorite Greek myth of all time. And I remember reading it in seventh grade and being so pleasantly scandalized that in this Greek myth, they talk about how the secret husband makes love with Psyche. And I thought, ooh, they wrote make love in a book. And I, was, I probably read that. Um, I'm not saying it's because of that, but I probably read that myth probably 10 times. I loved it so much. And when I found out that um, it was a, it was a, going to be a retelling, I was all excited. So it basically follows the, the original story. I mean, these characters are named Cupid and Psyche, but the story kind of expands upon the shorter myth. And, you know, uh, Psyche is the youngest daughter of three. Um, she was born to um, a king of a, of a little kingdom, an island kingdom, and his wife who had been unable to have children for years. And after praying to Aphrodite, they were blessed with three beautiful daughters. But Psyche, the youngest, was the most beautiful and the most amazing of all. And over time, the family begins to forget to be thankful to Aphrodite for the gifts that they were given in their children. And the townspeople begin to sort of change their adoration from Aphrodite to Psyche because she's so beautiful and so oh. beloved. And so... As you may have guessed, Aphrodite is not happy to be replaced by a mere mortal in the affections of her kingdom. She's not happy that the offerings that have been put in her temple have dwindled dramatically. And she is not happy that she is not in first place, especially because it's because of her blessing that the king and his queen had these daughters at all. 
So she decides she's going to punish Psyche by offering her in marriage, by forcing a marriage between her and this serpent monster that she'll never be able to see. And the entire village, you know, is out in force to watch her walk to the place where she will, you know, end up meeting this, this husband who is likely going to rip her limb from limb. And everybody's weeping and sobbing. And she ends up going to this magical place where she meets this man who she cannot see. And she knows he's a serpent looking monster, but his voice is so pleasing and his touch feels so human, but she's not allowed to touch him in return. There are rules. She can't see any of the, um, the people who serve her in this beautiful castle that she's living in. And, um, you know, this husband keeps trying to get her to trust him without being able to see him or touch him or anything. And over time, Psyche begins to learn to trust her husband and begins to develop feelings for him, despite not being sure if he's a serpent or what the heck is he. But then she makes a mistake. And I'm not going to say what that mistake is. And because if you have read the myth, you know what the mistake is. And Aphrodite sets her to some impossible tasks in order for her to reunite with the husband that she has fallen deeply in love with. And these tasks seem insurmountable, but somehow our intrepid heroine is able to prevail. And we have the story of Cupid and Psyche. And it's just really well done. Um, you know, the, the writing is a little modern for me sometimes. I mean, this is back in like ancient Rome. And sometimes you get some more modern ways of speaking. But besides that, I really enjoyed the story. It was just a lovely retelling of a really great Greek myth. And I encourage you to check it out. Again, it's called Soul and Darkness. And the author is Wendy Higgins. Beautiful. Yes. I have this here. Oh, you need to read it. I want to read it. Although her sweet, what is that? Sweet Ruin series um, has caught my attention. So I may have to read that first. Oh, and I will say that um, this, she makes a point of, saying that this is um, an adult novel. A lot of what she writes is for the young adult audience, but Cupid and Psyche, even though the scenes are fairly short and fairly tame in Romance Landia terms, um, she has built this for an adult audience. So if you, like me, have some discomfort with the young adult genre, do not fear. This is not part of that. So I have no discomfort with the young adult genre. In fact, I love it so, so much. And so I am very excited to talk about my first pick tonight. I am actually still reading it. I'm about three quarters of the way through. Um, I did not get it finished in time for this episode, but I am loving it so much and I will still talk about it. So this is Stolen Songbird and it is the Malediction series, book one by Danielle L. Jensen. I cannot wait to hear you talk about this. I'm dying to read it, even if it's oh. in the young adult genre. Yes. So this is the first book in a trilogy. Um, so three full-length novels. It looks like there are also two novellas that kind of slot in between um, books one and two, and then books two and three. Um, I'm not generally a big novella reader, so I don't know if I'll pick those up or not. But this is kind of a mashup of a bunch of classics. Um, this reminds me a little bit of Beauty and the Beast, a little bit of Phantom of the Opera, 
a little bit of um, Hades and Persephone, and then there's kind of some, like, throwback to, like, labyrinth um, woven throughout the story as well. So this is the story of Cecile, and she is 17, and her life is just about to broaden in, like, some of the best ways. She is headed to the city for the first time, where she will study opera. Um, her mother was one of the, like, most renowned opera singers of the time. And Cecile is ready to follow in her footsteps. But on her way home for her going away party, she is abducted and taken to this city underground. And trolls live under the ground. Now, I wasn't sure at first how I would feel about trolls. Like, trolls to me are those, like, little dolls that were popular like, in the early 90s. Um, so I wasn't really sure how I would feel about, you know, like, reading about trolls. But I actually really like them, and I find their, their kingdom to be quite fascinating. So Cecile is taken down below, and it is believed that she has the ability to break a curse that has been placed upon the trolls, like, many, 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 many years ago, and has banished them under the ground. So she is to be bonded in marriage to Tristan, who is the prince of the trolls. But life in this underground city is pretty complicated, and Cecile is not fully sure of her own, of her place. Um, she really wants to return to the world above. She misses her family. She really wants to achieve her dream of like studying opera. And yet she's not sure if she's going to be able to do any of these things because she's stuck underground in the city where she is supposed to break this curse that she has no idea whether or not she can actually succeed. Um, it looks as though this story you know, is not complete in book one. And I don't just mean like because it's a trilogy, but I think there are some things that look like they might have to be a little bit cliffhangery. So I will probably end up going on to book two pretty rapidly if this um, first book ends the way I'm anticipating. Um, it's really, really well done. The world building is great. I really like the characters. I think she's done a great job of creating a lot of nuanced characters where you're not like, oh, like this person right here is the bad person. You know, this is the person we're supposed to hate because it's really hard to know who you can trust, but also who you're supposed to, you know, have kind of negative feelings about. Um, so, so far, I'm really loving this. It's done on audio um, by Aaron Moon and Eric Michael Summerer. People have said that they don't care for the narration. I don't mind it. I don't think it's, like, spectacular, but it's definitely not um, the worst I've heard, like, at all. So if you are intrigued by this, it, once again, is Stolen Songbird. Malediction, book one, by Danielle L. Jensen. I have to have this in my life. Yes. It just yes, sounds I like right up my like alley. It. Yes, I cannot wait. It's another one. I know. So many good books. Fairy tales. I did see you were reading that one, and it did look really good. Yes. Yeah, I think, um, I think you would like it. Okay, so my first book 
is called Maid Marian by Elsa Watson. And I have to admit, I was kind of struggling for one last book to include in this episode. I had a couple of ideas, but I couldn't really come up with anything. And then I remembered I took a Robin Hood class in my English major. And I was thinking about it and I'm like, you know, there were never any like, you know, it was always the the, the retelling from like Robin Hood's point of view because I was going to do, you know, a book from Robin's point of view. And I found this book. And so this is called Maid Marian. And this is told from the point of view of Maid Marian. I would say it's probably a young adult book. And it tells the legend of Robin Hood from Maid Marian's perspective and how she, you know, kind of infiltrates the band of his merry men and how you know, she is involved in the legend of Robin Hood. And it basically just goes through the Robin Hood legend, but tells it from Maid Marian's perspective. And it was just kind of unique because it's not particularly feminist. It's not particularly, um, you know, modern or anything like that. It actually, in a way you know, Maid Marian was a woman of her times in this book. And, you know, she made some decisions that maybe I wouldn't make. But, you know, she was living in her own times and, you know, was living the life of a medieval woman. So, you know, some of her choices I wouldn't have made. But overall, it's a really good book. And if you are a fan of Robin Hood, I would definitely give this one a shot. And it is Maid Marian by Elsa Watson. And it's a pretty quick read. It only took me like a day or two to read it. But it was it was just fun. I always kind of wondered, you know, when I first was like young and I was hearing the story of Robin Hood, like you got these kind of little glimpses into Marian, but you never really got to know her. Right. And that's so, why, I, yeah. And that's why I really liked this one because it's told from only Marion's point of view. I mean, you always hear about like Will Scarlet and, you know, yes. Friar Tuck and stuff like that, but you never, you're right. You just kind of get glimpses of Maid Marion and you're like, what the heck, where did she come from? And it kind of fills in her backstory and stuff like that too. I think there's also a retelling where like Will Scarlet is a woman. Oh, I think it's called Scarlet. Okay. Um, I might have to look for that one. Yeah, it looks kind of interesting. I heard, I'm trying to think where I heard about it. I don't know. Maybe I just saw it on Goodreads. But I think it's like a duology, so it's Scarlet and then like one other one, I think. Hmm. I'll have to look for it then. So my second book is called Wildwood Dancing by Juliette Marillier. And this is based on the 12 dancing princesses, which is not actually a fairy tale I like read a lot when I was younger or knew a lot about, but I loved this book. And some of you may know this author from her Seven Waters series, which is very good. Um, And so this is a story um, primarily of Jenna, who is one of five sisters, and she is the second eldest sister. And they live in this idyllic, charming little village in Transylvania. 
in this really old crumbling castle. It's like the most perfect setting for a fairy tale. Um, and when they were much younger, these five sisters uh, discovered a magical portal in their shared bedroom which carried them away to another kingdom. A kingdom that is full of magic and lots of strange and magical and mystical creatures. And since then, they have been secretly visiting this place um, during every full moon. And there they dance the night away with all of their, these magical creatures. Um, under the light of the moon. And so this is something, this is a secret that they've, they've held their entire lives. No one else knows about this secret portal. And their, their lives are pretty peaceful for a long time, but things take a turn for the worse when their father falls ill and is taken away to the countryside to recover, as people used to do. I wish we could do that now when we're not feeling well. Kind of like head off to the countryside. Um, and this is when their older cousin arrives. Supposedly, he's there to help manage their affairs and, you know, quote-unquote, take care of the sisters, of the, the women during the harsh winter months. But... Jenna quickly discovers that he has other really dark motives and he holds a lot of anger and bitterness towards the other kingdom um, and all the kind of magical creatures that exist there. And this is because of something that happened to him and Jenna when they were much younger, which you'll learn more about in the story. And this anger and bitterness uh, really... Um, causes him to become um, very, um, a very dangerous character in this story. Um, and at the same time, um, Jenna's older sister falls in love with a creature from the other kingdom who is described as being part of the night people, kind of very vampiric. And he, we don't really know a lot about him. And Jenna is very concerned and feels that this is a very dangerous um, person who should not be trusted. And so there are threats from the other kingdom that begin to unfold. And then there are threats at, at home as, as their cousin um, kind of asserts more and more power over the family, but also um, commits to um, destroying this other kingdom. And I won't say very much more than that, but um, if, if you've ever read this author before, her writing is just so elegant and beautiful. And the, much like in the Seven Waters series, I find that even the setting alone is kind of a character onto its own because it's just so vibrant and uh, so imaginative the way she she describes this setting and the threats that exist in this world um, it's just I read a review once that said that this is a kind of book you should read on a crisp October night 
when you just want to lose yourself in a fairy tale, and it's so true. So it's very fast-paced and just really endearing and beautiful. So if you are interested, then you'll want to check out Wildwood Dancing by Juliet Marillier. I love her so much. Yes. Her Seven Waters books. The Black Favorite. The Blackthorn and Grimm books are really good, too. Oh, I need to read those. I've not Sarah read them. them They're so, so really? good. I have to I admit that despite her being amazing, I've never read anything by her, even though she's on my radar. Oh, Stacey. She's really good. So I was really struggling with, I had so many ideas for what I wanted to talk about. I was thinking about doing like a Jane Eyre retelling. I was thinking about doing so many different things. And I just couldn't find exactly what I wanted. And then two days ago, a really wonderful person who may or not may not be the erstwhile leader of this podcast, said, I might want to check out this new, um, this book. And it's called The Girl in Red by Christina Henry. And basically, it's a little Red Riding Hood post-apocalyptic story. So, yes, anytime anybody says post-apocalyptic anything to me, I'm like all in. But then you include the fact that this girl is just a really savvy kick-ass heroine she's biracial she has a very obvious physical disability that um, plays a significant role in her ability to get to her grandmother's house and it's just you know non-stop action from start to finish like there's no gratuitous writing that just makes you feel like oh i'm bored now i mean the whole thing is action um parts are a little gory i was um up uh, stress. I was awake and just worrying about things in the middle of the night and I started reading it and we got to a gory scene and I'm like, you know, that's not going to help me relax. So don't read it if you, um, in the middle of the night, like if, if you have a hard time reading gore. But besides that, it's this amazing book about a young woman who um, insists on being called Red because her actual name is Cordelia. And she doesn't feel as though she's a Cordelia. So she always wears like a red sweatshirt or a red jacket and she insists upon being called Red. And as we start the book, we're sort of um, in this contagion. There's uh, some sort of plague that has swept the world um, where people are getting this cough and they are dying. And so Red has decided the best way to keep her family I safe. kind of her, have a cough. This makes me right. nervous. I know. I, I know. And I, it makes <laughs> me nervous too. But I, I always read these books about like super flu and coughing. And I don't know why because I'm so germ phobic. This can't be doing good things for my psyche. But um, anyway, she decides that the only way to keep her mother, father, and older brother safe is to walk through the woods to grandmother's house, avoiding all the highways and all the roads. So this is like a, like a, a present day, like we talk about Walmart and iPhones and everything. Like, so the world was Whoa. completely normal until it wasn't until it crashes because everyone's dying of this cough. Anyway. So she has had her backpack, um, like her, her travel pack packed for weeks. She never leaves. She walks in and out of rooms without her back. She's very prepared and her family is just sort of not prepared and not taking her seriously until they do. And so Red ends up on this trek to grandmother's house. And along the way, she encounters, you know, people who have had their humanity stripped away by the ending of the world as they know it. And 
she encounters some very strange and fantastical things. And this, this whole story is about her journey to get from all that is real and familiar and her link with, you know, the old world to, you know, hopefully the safety and security of her grandmother's cabin deep, deep, deep in the forest and hopefully well away from this contagion that has swept the world. And this book was so well written. You know, some reviewers stated that they were pretty disappointed with the, uh, how quickly the book ended. I found everything about the pacing to just be perfection. I loved everything about the book. Um, for all of you who know that I typically recommend romance, there's not one drop of romance in this book and you don't miss it. I mean, it's just the, I loved it so much. So if you like post-apocalyptic fiction, if you like reading, you know, loosely based on fairy tale retellings, I really encourage you to pick up The Girl in Red by Christina Henry and please, please read it with the lights on. Oh my goodness. I need to read this book too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I actually I just started now. a different, yeah, I know it's really good. And if you're reading it in audio, January Lavoie reads it and she's amazing. Oh, I love um, her so much. Yeah. And I just actually started a new, another series by her that's sort of about this, this woman who's sort of like a grim reaper. So, I mean, she's just, her writing's really great. So I enjoyed it enough that I'm starting something else by her. So. I want to read The Mermaid because it has like I know. a circus setting. I know. I want to read it too. All right. So we are going to journey back to my childhood, as I suppose we kind of have with, with a lot of these books. But this next book um, was pretty integral to my growing up years. And I'm pretty sure it was for the rest of you as well, because I'm going to talk about Marilla of Green Gables by Sarah McCoy. Yay. Yes. So, you know, we all know and love Anne of Green Gables, at least I hope we do. Um, and we know Marilla as being this kind of, you know, no nonsense, a little bit brusque, you know, this older woman who ends up adopting Anne Shirley. Um, she, Marilla and her brother Matthew, open their home to Anne and, of course, Anne of Green Gables. But we never really get to know much about Marilla before Anne. So author Sarah McCoy decided that she was going to explore what could have been Marilla's backstory. And I was a little bit skeptical about this when I first picked it up because I just love Anne of Green Gables and, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on with it right now. Like there's a bunch of like, you know, shows based on it, like reboots of it. And none of them make me very happy. So I wasn't sure how a book about Marilla was going to be. And I was very, very afraid that it was going to kind of like spoil the magic in a weird way. But it absolutely did not. We get to know Marilla as a young girl. The story starts when she's about 13. And we really get to see what brought her to the point where we first meet her in Anne of Green Gables, where she's living with her brother and being kind of like a, a farm wife. Um, and I love the amount of research that it looks like Sarah McCoy did when she wrote this book, because her, her early characterizations of these characters are so spot on. Like you can totally see the characters in the, that we know from the actual Anne books, like in these kind of younger incarnations of themselves. 
Um, so we get to see like Rachel, who is, you know, kind of the classic busybody that we get to know in, in Anne's story. And she is pretty much exactly like that as a young girl. Um, we also get to see the father of Gilbert Blythe, um, who has kind of an attraction to Marilla that we learn more about. I love that we get to see Matthew um, in kind of a new way. Um, there's just so much to love about this. And if you grew up loving Anne, or if you have kids of your own and you're kind of you know, introducing them to the L.M. Mon Montgomery books, um, I would say definitely pick up Marilla of Green Gables. It's just a, a fantastic kind of like prequel to the stories that I grew up <coughs> adoring. Um, so yeah, it's Marilla of Green Gables, and it's by Sarah McCoy, and it came out last fall, I believe. I have to read the rest of the Anne, Anne of Green Gables series. I've read the first one. <gasps> oh my goodness. Oh. You need to. Yes, because then there's like... Oh, there's Anne, so many. Like, there's so many... Right. Excellent ones. Like I love the ones where she's like, where she goes like to teaching college. Like, oh, Anna me too. Island. Oh yeah. yeah, I know. Anna Wendy Poplars. Uh, oh yes, I think that one's my favorite. I like that one a lot. All the letters. I love them I, all. Um, and I have to say, I really, um, I read a different Sarah McCoy that I talked about last year, um, The Baker's Daughter. Yeah. And I really like her writing. So I think that she would do justice <laughs> to such an iconic, you know, set of characters without being offensive or, or, you know, yes, twisting them to fit mm -hmm. a different vision. So I think I will have to give it a try. My second book is called The House of Salt and Sorrows, and it is by Erin A. Craig. And this was one of the books that I was really excited about in, uh, for my September picks. And I did uh, August, I think. Oh, was it August? I don't Oh Yeah. Okay. August. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, yes, August, because September is not here yet. Ah, okay. Right, and we just recorded September. <laughs> right. So this is a fairy tale retelling of the 12 dancing princesses, I believe. I'm not very familiar with the actual fairy tale itself, but this features Anna Lee and her seven sisters, and four of her sisters have died very tragic deaths. They live on an island, and I have to say, this book was weird, um, <laughs> but it worked. Um, so Anna Lee has a couple of things going on. She has a, a new stepmother that has come in and kind of replaced uh, her mother who passed away. And you find out very early on in the book that she is pregnant with twins. You also have a thread where Anna Lee's, one of her sisters, died. And Anna Lee is not convinced that it was an accident. She is convinced that it was murder. She meets two boys, Anna Lee does. One of them is very mysterious, and the other one is kind of the boy next door that she kind of grew up loving and, and you know, really wanting. So you kind of have these different threads going 
you know, where Anna Lee is trying to figure out what happened to her sister, Yaleli, or I'm sorry, Yalelia, uh, who fell off of a cliff and died. You have her trying to figure out what happened. Did, she, did the girl jump? Was she pushed? Uh, you know, what happened? And then you also have the fact that Anna Lee and her seven sisters are also looking for husbands. And one of the, one of the boys, Fisher, tells them about a magical door. And the girls can go wherever they want. And they end up going to all of these balls and just dancing the night away. So the book is kind of weird because it does have a lot of different threads going on at the same time, but it was super good. It was super compelling. Um, I was actually surprised at how much I really liked it. And again, that is the house of salt and sorrows by Aaron a Craig. And just so you know, it does get kind of dark towards the end. Um, so if that's not your thing, you might not want to read this one. But it is really good. It looks super good. Yes. So, my friends, my final book is called Stained by A.G. Howard. And this is actually based on the princess and the pea which is different but i also yes. yeah but i also see a lot of other fairy tale are kind of like influences i would say um especially aspects of snow white because there is an evil aunt who will stop at nothing to get what she wants and who holds a very deep hatred towards her niece, Princess Lyra. So this is a very wide swooping story with an epic feel to it. There's lots of multiple, there's, there are multiple characters and elements and points of view. And at first it's hard to really understand how they all weave together and how they're connected, but it does come together. And um, Princess Lyra is born in the kingdom of perpetual daylight. So it's always day in her kingdom. And she um, has very pale skin and silvery eyelashes. And she is strikingly different for these reasons from everyone else in her kingdom. She's unable to withstand the sunlight. It causes her physical pain. Um, and she, when we first meet her, she also has no voice. And though she tries to be understood by the people around her, she's not. And because of her condition, we'll say, She's relegated to the dark corners of her kingdom and the castle, and she's often covered in clothing by her doting father, the king, to protect her. And she spends a lot of her time dreaming and longing for the sun. Um, and then we also have the prince of the kingdom that is perpetually in the dark and nighttime 
And he is also very different from everyone in his realm. And he's um, described as being very dark. And I won't get too much into um, that particular character because I think it's more, it's a lot more fun to discover for yourself. But for various reasons, both of these characters do not belong in their worlds. And um, the story takes a turn for the worse when Lyra's aunt conspires to kill the king, her father, and succeeds. I could tell you that because it's in the synopsis. Um, and Lyra is kicked out of her kingdom. And she embarks upon what I could only describe as a very wide-sweeping kind of epic fairy tale. And a witch takes away her memories and uh, keeps her in this enchanted forest. And she is disguised as a boy named Stained. Um, and there's a prophecy in this story. And for reasons I won't elaborate on, it's very important that these two worlds come together and that the prince and princess fall in love. And um, as part of this, Lyra has to pass a series of tests to prove that she is not um, very much like the traditional princess you would think of in a fairy tale. And I'm being intentionally vague. And what I will say about this story is that I, I was... I was kind of entranced from the beginning, but at the same time, it's, it's a hard book to read um, quickly because this is a really long book. Like there are, I think about 600 pages and there are a lot of different things going on at once. Um, and so it takes a lot of time to get into it. It's a very slow burning story and romance and I need to admit that I haven't actually finished the book yet I'm almost finished I have like two two or three chapters left but I haven't been able to read it without pausing to read other things because it's just there's a lot to keep straight in your head but despite that I still recommend it if you like like a really wide souping fairy tale with a lot of elements and characters and storylines and imagination and i like that this story is told in the third person too because you don't see that a lot with young adult literature these days it's often first person and i find that that kind of narrator gives gives it that fairy tale epic feel so hopefully when i find out how this story ends i will still be happy <laughs> but nonetheless this book is called Stained by A.G. Howard, and you may want to check it out. I've read one A.G. Howard book, um, and that was Rose Blood. It was a sort of Phantom of the Opera-esque uh, story. And while I did not love the, her, her portrayal of events, I loved her writing. So yeah. it makes me feel like I want to give her another chance and try a different book. So maybe it'll be this. Well, speaking of anything to do with Phantom, um, I could not end my 
recommendations for this episode without talking about a book um, that sort of honors one of my favorite stories of all time, which is The Phantom of the Opera. I'm still that 12-year-old girl that wishes that the Phantom won, despite his many um, <laughs> sort of um, anti-hero type tendencies. And so I'm, I've, I'm always on a quest for a good um, Phantom retelling. And I thought that I'd found that with Sarah Fine and her of Metal and Wishes. But um, at the end of the second book of Rust and Ruin, I was so angry I cried and it wasn't good tears at all. So I decided I was going to have to find something different. So after a lot of searching, I'm going to go back to um, my most beloved of Phantom stories, which is actually called Phantom by Susan Kay. And this is an older book. It came out in 1991. And basically it is a very in-depth retelling of the Phantom's life from birth until uh, beyond his death. And this story um, begins in a small village from his mother's point of view, Madeleine, um, in, a, in a small French village called Beaucherville. And when the Phantom is born, he's quite disfigured, as we know, and he's pretty hideous to look at. So when the priest comes to bless him um, and to, I don't really know, give him like last rites in case he dies and everything, um, Madeleine just says, forget it. Just name him after you. I, I don't want any part of this. And so um, the priest names the, the child Eric after himself. And for the first nearly nine years of Eric's life, he lives um, behind the walls of his mother's house. And he's a very inquisitive child and very, very precocious and far brighter than his years and wants to learn all about music and architecture and oh, I should have said his mother is an opera singer. Um, and she was very spoiled growing up and was sort of like the darling only child of older parents and kind of given the world. And her husband died when she was six months pregnant. So anyway, now she's alone with this monstrous son who she, who's, who's fast outpacing her in intelligence and ability. And so, you know, this book kind of follows him through his very, traumatic life um, through um, being part of a, a freak show and a gypsy uh, sideshow um, and, you know, going to live with a very fatherly um, stonemason. Um, he has his first sort of romantic crush, which, which, you know, inevitably doesn't end well. He goes to Persia and meets um, and, and works at the court um, as the court magician um, and then he ends up, you know, as his life progresses, building mundane houses um, from behind the scenes in Paris and just, or, yeah, Rouen, Paris, and just building these houses and just sort of like doing his thing. And um, then he is able to assist with the building of the, the Palace Garnier, the, the Paris Opera. Um, and, but as he's building, he's just in love with this. He just loves the building so much. It's like his, homage to all things music and he decides he's just gonna kind of stay beneath the opera in a in a home he builds for himself within the foundation five cellars below the level of the earth and he sort of floats along for several years just sort of playing the part of an opera ghost until he hears Christine Daae sing for the first time and that changes everything about his worldview and he falls deeply and passionately in love with this very 
fragile, very fragile young woman, a little too fragile in my opinion. Um, and this story kind of talks about their love and, and, you know, how Christine makes her choice between um, her very sort of seductive love of Eric, the Phantom of the Opera, and her childhood sweetheart, the safety and security of Raoul de Chagny. And this book is just something that um, I really love everything about it. It's, it's a little hard to read, but it's just, it's worth every moment, um, especially if you like me, never stop being 12 years old and still have this sort of unhealthy fascination with the Phantom of the Opera. So again, this, um, I said fascination, but it's more obsession. So this book is Phantom by Susan Kay, and I hope at some point you check it out if you haven't already. I have never read this. Ah, I know, I know. I don't know. I mean, it's not for everyone, you know, it's, it's, it's for those who really love, like want more of like the backstory and like what led a man to go to the lengths that he did to woo this young, you know, diva, um, young, young girl, singing, opera singing girl. I don't know. I, I loved it so much. So, my last book is one of my favorite, favorite books of 2019. And this is a retelling of Les Miserables set in space. Yes. Now, I have to say that I have never read the complete, unabridged, um, like, opus that is <gasps> Les Miserables. I've read, like, bits and pieces of it here and there. Um, one of my best friends just recently reread it. Um, she read it for the first time when she was nine, which kind of messes with my head just a little. Um, hi, Robin, if you're listening. <laughs> Reads Les Mis um, when you're nine. This one, though, um, is just so fantastic. And it has all these marvelous, like, little Easter eggs from the musical that we all know and love so much so this is sky without stars and it's the first book in a duology called system divine it's by jessica brody and joanne rendell and it's basically like the french revolution as it's taking place on a different planet so basically many many years before the story starts there was a great tragedy and people had to flee from earth so a certain number of the French aristocracy fled to this planet, and that's where they're living now. And it's very much like historical France. There is this huge separation between, like, the rich and powerful people and sort of, like, the, the peasant class. Um, and the revolution is slowly beginning to simmer. And our story revolves around three very different young people who together have the power to shape the history of their world. So Chatim is a thief, um, kind of like the, she lives with her, her family in this kind of broken down spaceship um, that they're using as kind of an inn. Um, that's the, the interesting thing about this. Like people are living in this space station. So there's all kinds of like old spacecrafts that people have turned into their homes, um, their place of business. 
So it's, it's a very unique setting that's kind of hard to describe. Um, so Shatin is the daughter of these kind of yucky innkeepers who have trained her to be a thief. So she goes out to kind of the market center and steals from people in order to put food on the table for her parents and herself. We also meet Marcellus, who is the grandson of this very high-ranking admiral. And he is set to, at some point, inherit his grandfather's position. But his father, Marcellus's father, was a traitor to the crown. And so this has a lot of um, potential to cause him problems. We also meet Alouette, who lives beneath the ground in a library. And her role is to be the guardian of this library. And the library contains all kinds of books from kind of like the world that we know. Um, these books were transported when people had to leave Earth. And now Alouette and a group of nuns are guarding them. And she has not been above ground in something like 12 years um, when we first meet her. So these three very, very different people come together in kind of a little bit of a love triangle way. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a great homage to the musical, as I said. And you really get to kind of fall into that, like, very complicated, fraught romance that exists um, between these, these three. Um, I read this in probably a day and a half, and it is almost 600 pages long. The second book, which is called Between Burning Worlds, is supposed to be out next year, but unfortunately, there's not like a hard and fast date. It just says publication 2020. So I'm hoping that a date is given really soon and that it's not like, you know, at the end of the year or maybe postponed to 2021. That would make me really, really sad because I really want to like reimmerse myself in this world and see if these authors kind of tie things up in the way that I expect or if they put a new spin on the whole like Glamis story. So this once again is Sky Without Stars and it's System Divine Book One by Jessica Brody and Joanne Rendell. I so just, I hate. I just go. <laughs> Did you really? Uh, yeah. Ah, so it's I hate so love triangles, good. but Les Mis, yeah. Les Mis, like who doesn't love Les Mis? I don't know. It's so good. It's like I, you know, normally in my kind of everyday like reading, when I pick up a book, I don't. I try to stay away from love triangles, but I feel like if you read Les Mis, if you know the story of Les Mis, you know that like that's just sort of a part of it. Yeah, and so it goes Classic. with the territory, and it's just so well done here. Um, I love the setting, like the whole idea of like this other planet. That, That's super exciting. Yeah, I yeah, know. It's very, very cool. So I really hope that the uh, second booklet doesn't take forever to come out. And is this available in audio, Shannon, or is it? It a... is okay. It I is. Want, I want you to know the whole time you're talking Yay. about that book, I was going. Someone read Les Mis when they were nine. <laughs> yeah, really, I know. That distracted me. So my last book, I have to make a confession. Um, I have not read in a really long time. Oh. And all of the synopses online were sadly lacking. So this book is The Mists of Avalon by oh. Zimmer Bradley. 
It's so beautiful. It's it so is cute. so beautiful. And it's, it literally, if you've ever seen like a physical copy of the book, it literally looks like the phone book. Literally. Beautiful. Um, yes. And it is a phone book of uh, the women of, so it's basically a King Arthur retelling, um, but from all of the women's point of view. So, you know, everyone knows the story of King Arthur. Everyone knows Arthur. Everyone knows Merlin. But people don't know the story of Vivian. They don't know the story story of Morgan Le Fay. They don't know the story, the real story of Guinevere. Um, Morgaz. There are so many women behind the throne, so to speak, that you do not hear about. And this is a retelling of that, you know, of that, the King Arthur legend from all of the women's point of views. Um, it is huge. I, I'm very tempted to reread it again. The, the length does kind of, I do find it a little intimidating, but it is, you know, if you're looking for a woman centered or, I don't know if I would say feminist. Um, it is kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of like kind of the first, like the precursor to all the like feminist fantasy that yes. we have right out now. I would yeah. say Mist of Avalon kind of opened that door like years right. ago. Um, there are other books in the series. This is the first one. I have never read any of the other books, so I don't know how oh. I So the Forest House started yes. off. And then Lady of Avalon. So those two are super good. Mrs. Okay. Avalon is, of course, the best. Yeah. And then oh. after that, like, there are a couple more. And I didn't love the ones that come after. It's like mm-hmm. Priestess of Avalon and something else. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, like, I kind of feel like they kind of go down this rabbit hole. And you're like, mm, yes. I don't know about this. Um, but the Mists of Avalon is amazing. Definitely check it out. I plan to do the same. If you don't hear from me in three weeks. <laughs> It's because I'm in the middle of the phone book. Just, you know, send food. Uh, but again, this is The Mists of Avalon by Marion Zimmer Bradley. And it is really, really amazing. Everyone should just check it out. Or recheck it out. Yes. I hate that there is like this huge controversy around Marion Zimmer Bradley's sort of personal life. And that that yeah. touches, unfortunately, um, it touches her art in a way that makes it hard for a lot of today's readers to embrace her. Right. Um, And that makes me sad because whereas I don't love some of the things that I learned about her, um, I I cannot just say that I I don't love her work because I I do. Yeah. I, I, I am a little conflicted about that too. Um, But I feel like if you kind of listen to, you know, the negative stuff about here, you're going to miss a really good book. It's true. Yeah. Okay. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Amber, Stacy, Natalie, and the cricket too for <laughs> joining me this evening and talking about some classic tales told in new and exciting ways. As always, I must say thank you to Christine for the fantastic editing that she does for all of these episodes. We appreciate it so, so much. 
And of course, thank you so much to all of you who have joined us for Book Bistro. We would not do a podcast if people didn't listen to it. So thank you so very, very much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, It kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.